Hello from all of us at Macmillan Audio. If you love to ask science and love learning and thinking about the ways our world works, there's a new audiobook that we know you'll love. In the Age of Resilience, Jeremy Rifkin delivers a sweeping new interpretation of the history of civilization and a transformative vision of how our species will thrive on an unpredictable Earth. Take a listen to the first 21 minutes right now, and then get the full audiobook, read by Adam Barr, wherever audiobooks are sold today. This book is available now. Introduction The viruses keep coming, the climate keeps warming, and the Earth is rewilding in real time. We long thought that we could force the natural world to adapt to our species. We now face the ignominious fate of being forced to adapt to an unpredictable natural world. Our species has no playbook for the mayhem that is unfolding around us. We are, by all accounts, the youngest mammalian species on Earth, with only a 200,000-year-long history. For most of that time, 95% or more, we lived pretty much like our fellow primates and mammals, as foragers and hunters, living off the land and adapting to the seasons, leaving just a skim of our imprint on the body of the earth. What changed? How did we become the despoilers who brought nature almost to its knees, but which now has come roaring back to cast us out? Let's step back for a moment and look at the now-worn narrative regarding our species' special destiny. During the dark days of the French Revolution in 1794, the philosopher Nicolas de Condorcet laid out a grand vision of the future while waiting to be taken to the guillotine for high treason. He wrote, No bounds have been fixed to the improvement of the human faculties. The perfectibility of man is absolutely indefinite. The progress of this perfectibility, henceforth above the control of every power that would impede it, has no other limit than the duration of the globe upon which nature has placed us. Condorcet's promissory note provided the ontological foundation for what would subsequently be called the Age of Progress. Today, Condorcet's vision of humanity's future appears naive, even laughable. Still. Progress is just the most recent incarnation of the ancient belief that our species was cut from a different cloth from that of other creatures with whom we share the earth. While grudgingly admitting that Homo sapiens evolved from an ancestral pool dating back to the first glimmer of microbial life, we like to think that we are different. During the modern era, we tossed much of the theological world aside but managed to keep hold of the Lord's promise to Adam and Eve that they and their heirs would have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That promise, still taken seriously, but without the religious overtones, has led to the collapse of our planetary ecosystems. If there is a change to be reckoned with, it's that we are beginning to realize that we never did 
have dominion, and that the agencies of nature are far more powerful than we thought. Our species now seems much smaller and less consequential in the bigger picture of life on Earth. People everywhere are scared. We are waking up to the hard reality that our species is to blame for the horrific carnage spreading across the Earth. The floods, droughts, wildfires, and hurricanes that are wreaking havoc and undermining economies and ecosystems around the world. We sense that planetary forces bigger than us, and not easily subdued by the means we have relied on in the past, are here to stay, with ominous repercussions. We are beginning to realize that our species and our fellow creatures are edging ever closer to an environmental abyss from which there is no return. And now, warnings that human-induced climate change is taking us into the sixth mass extinction of life on Earth have moved from the fringes to the mainstream. The alarm bells are ringing everywhere. Government leaders, the business and financial community, academia, and the public at large are beginning to question, whole cloth, the shibboleths by which we have lived our lives, interpreted the meaning of our existence, and understood the simple realities of staying alive and secure. Although the age of progress is, for all intents and purposes, over, and only awaiting a proper postmortem, what's new and being heard from every quarter and getting louder and more determined is that we, the human race, need to rethink everything. Our worldview, our understanding of the economy, our forms of governance, our concepts of time and space, our most basic human drives, and our relationship to the planet. But the talk thus far is at best inchoate and at worst undefined. What does it really mean to rethink every aspect of our lives? We have a clue. The question being asked in so many different ways is how do we adapt to the havoc that is coming? We hear it around the kitchen table and in our local neighborhoods where we work and play and live out our lives. Resilience, in turn, has become the new defining refrain heard in countless venues. It is how we are coming to define ourselves in a perilous future that is now at the front gates. The age of progress has given way to the age of resilience. Rethinking the essence of our species and its place on Earth marks the beginning of a new journey where nature is now the classroom. The great transformation from the age of progress to the age of resilience is already triggering a vast philosophical and psychological readjustment in the way our species perceives the world around us. At the root of the transition is a wholesale shift of our temporal and spatial orientation. The underlying temporal orientation that directed the entirety of the age of progress is efficiency the quest to optimize the expropriation, consumption, and discarding of natural resources, and by so doing, increase the material opulence of society at ever greater speeds and in ever-shrinking timeframes, but at the expense of the depletion of nature itself. Our personal temporal orientation and the temporal beat of our society folds around the efficiency imperative. It's what has taken us to the commanding heights as the dominant species on Earth, and now 
to the ruin of the natural world. Of late, voices are being raised for the very first time from the academic community and even corporate boardrooms and government, challenging this once sacred value of efficiency, suggesting that its ironclad hold over society's temporal bandwidth is literally killing us. How, then, do we rethink our future? If the age of progress marched in lockstep with efficiency, the temporal choreography of the age of resilience strides with adaptivity. The temporal crossover from efficiency to adaptivity is the re-entry card that takes our species from separation and exploitation of the natural world to repatriation with the multitude of environmental forces that animate the Earth, marking a repositioning of human agency on an increasingly unpredictable planet. This realignment is already affecting other deep-rooted assumptions about how our economic and social life ought to be conducted, measured, and assessed. The handover from efficiency to adaptivity comes with sweeping changes in the economy and society, including the shift from productivity to regenerativity, growth to flourishing, ownership to access, seller-buyer markets to provider-user networks. Linear processes to cybernetic processes. Vertically integrated economies of scale to laterally integrated economies of scale. Centralized value chains to distributed value chains. Corporate conglomerates to agile, high-tech, small, and medium-sized cooperatives, blockchained in fluid commons. Intellectual property rights to open-source sharing of knowledge. Zero-sum games to network effects. Globalization to glocalization, consumerism to eco-stewardship, gross domestic product, GDP, to quality of life indicators, QLI, negative externalities to circularity, and geopolitics to biosphere politics. The emerging third iteration of the Industrial Revolution that is taking the world from analog bureaucracies to digital platforms enveloping the whole of the Earth is re-embedding our species back into the planet's indigenous infrastructures. The hydrosphere, the lithosphere, the atmosphere, and the biosphere. This new infrastructure takes our collective humanity beyond the industrial era. In the emerging economic paradigm, it's likely that finance capital, the heart of the industrial age, will be surpassed by a new economic order primed by ecological capital as we move further into the age of resilience in the second half of the 21st century and beyond. Not surprisingly, the new temporality rides alongside a fundamental spatial reorientation. In the age of progress, space became synonymous with passive natural resources and governance with managing nature as property. In the age of resilience, space is made up of the planetary spheres that interact to establish the processes patterns, and flows of an evolving Earth. We are also just beginning to understand that our own lives and those of our fellow creatures exist as processes, patterns, and flows. The idea that we are autonomous beings, acting on one another and the natural world, is being rethought by a new generation of physicists, chemists, and biologists on the cutting edge of scientific inquiry they are beginning to unearth a different story about the nature of human nature and, in the process, challenging the belief in our autonomous selfhood. 
All living creatures are extensions of the Earth's spheres. The elements, minerals, and nutrients of the lithosphere, the water of the hydrosphere, and the oxygen of the atmosphere are continually coursing through us in the form of atoms and molecules, taking up residence in our cells, tissues, and organs as prescribed by our DNA, only to be continuously replaced at various intervals during our life. Although it may come as a surprise, most of the tissues and organs that make up our bodies continuously turn over in our lifetime. For example, one's near-entire skeleton is replaced every 10 years or so. A human liver turns over approximately every 300 to 500 days. The cells that line the stomach turn over in 5 days. And intestinal panath cells are replaced every 20 days. A mature adult, from a strictly physical point of view, may be 10 years old or younger. And even then, our body does not belong to us alone, but is shared by many other forms of life. Bacteria, viruses, protists, archaea, and fungi. Indeed, more than half the cells in the human body and the majority of DNA that makes us up are not human but belong to the rest of the creatures that reside in every nook and cranny of our being. The point is, the Earth's species and ecosystems do not stop at the edge of our bodies, but rather continuously flow in and out of our bodies. Each of us is a semi-permeable membrane. We are of the planet literally and figuratively, which ought to shatter the cherished notion that our species is somehow separate from nature. Our inseparability from nature's flows is even more nuanced and intimate. Like every other species, we are made up of a multitude of biological clocks that continually adapt our internal bodily rhythms to the circadian day and the lunar, seasonal, and circannual rhythms that mark the daily rotation of the Earth and its annual passage around the sun. Of late, we are also learning that endogenous and exogenous electromagnetic fields that crisscross every cell tissue, and organ, and permeate the planet, also play a critical role in establishing the patterns by which our genes and cells line up and take form and assist in maintaining bodily functions. We are of the earth, to the very sinew of our being. Like the rethinking of our temporality, our emerging understanding of our extended spatiality as a species is also forcing a reevaluation of our relationship to our fellow creatures and our place on the earth. With this comes fresh thinking about the nature of governance and how we see ourselves as a social organism. In the age of resilience, governance transitions from sovereignty over natural resources to stewardship of regional ecosystems. Bioregional governance, for its part, becomes far more distributed, with local communities taking on the responsibility of adapting to and stewarding their 19 kilometers of the Earth's biosphere that encompass the lithosphere, hydrosphere, and atmosphere, the region of Earth where life unfolds. In this very different world, where we break down the walls between civilization and naturalization, representative democracy, long held in high regard as the fairest and most inclusive governing model, is perceived as increasingly removed from the hands-on engagement with nature required of every member of our species. Already, representative democracy is beginning to make way in bits and pieces for 
distributed peerocracy, as a younger generation becomes active players in the governance of their bioregions. In the emerging era, the industrious and efficient citizen bystanders to governance, whose only responsibility is to vote for a small coterie of elected officials to represent their interests, gives over, in part, to active, peer-led citizen assemblies dedicated to stewarding their bioregions. There is already precedent for this, as nation-states have traditionally established citizen juries who are called upon to assess the guilt or innocence of their peers in criminal and civil court cases. These are just a smattering of developments that are only now rearing their head, as our species makes a historic pivot from the age of progress to the age of resilience. Other developments will emerge as we rethink our sense of agency in a highly animated planet that is evolving in unfathomable ways to which we will need to adapt if we are to survive and flourish. The pages that follow are a walkthrough of where we've come since our first Adam and Eve stood upright and ventured out from the Rift Valley of Africa onto the open savannas, and from there trekked across the continents. Our species is the great wayfarer of the world, in search of more than our daily subsistence. Something deeper and more restless churns inside us, a feeling no other creature possesses. We are in a relentless search, whether acknowledged or not, for the meaning of our existence. It's what moves us. But somewhere along the journey, we lost our way. For most of our time on Earth, our species, like all others, found means to continually adapt to the larger forces of nature unfolding around us. Then, 10,000 years ago, with the ending of the last ice age and the beginning of a temperate climate, christened the Holocene, we steered a Promethean new course, forcing nature to adapt to our species. With the rise of the hydraulic agricultural empires 5,000 years ago and, more recently, the proto-industrial and industrial revolutions of the late medieval and modern age, what we have come to call civilization, our journey has been marked by increasing domination over the natural world. And now our success, if we can call it that, is measured by a startling statistic. Although Homo sapiens makes up less than 1% of the Earth's total biomass, by 2005, we were using 24% of the net primary production from photosynthesis, and current trends project that we might use as much as 44% by 2050, leaving only 56% of the net primary production for the rest of the life on the planet. This is obviously untenable. Our collective humanity has become the outlier of life and is now taking our fellow creatures along with us to a mass geological graveyard in the emerging Anthropocene. Ironically, our species, unlike our fellow creatures, is of a Janus face. If we are the spoiler species, we are also potentially the healers. We have been blessed with a special quality wired into our neurocircuitry, the empathic impulse, that has shown itself to be elastic and capable of infinite expansion. It's this rare and precious attribute that has evolved, only to fall back and resurface again and again, each time reaching new plateaus before another slippage. In recent years, a younger generation has begun to extend the empathic impulse beyond our own species 
to include our fellow creatures, all of whom are part of our evolutionary family. This is what biologists call biophilia consciousness, a hopeful sign of a new path forward. Anthropologists tell us we are among the most adaptive species. The question is whether we will use this defining attribute to assimilate back into nature's fold wherever it takes us with a sense of humility, mindfulness, and critical thinking that will allow our species and our extended biological family to flourish once again. The great turnaround from adapting nature to our species to adapting our species back to nature will require abandoning the traditional Baconian approach to scientific inquiry, with its emphasis on resting nature's secrets and seeing the earth as a resource and commodity for our species' exclusive consumption. In its stead, we will need to take hold of a radically new scientific paradigm, what a new generation of scientists call complex adaptive social-slash-ecological systems modeling, or CASES. This new approach to science views nature as a life source rather than a resource and perceives the Earth as a complex self-organizing and self-evolving system whose trajectory is ultimately unknowable in advance and therefore requires a science of anticipation and vigilant adaptation rather than forced preemption. A rewilding planet will test our collective metal. Hopefully, The journey we are now embarked on in the age of resilience will steer us to a new Garden of Eden, but this time not as master, but as kindred spirit with our fellow creatures, with whom we share our earthly home. Thank you for listening to this clip provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title wherever audiobooks are sold.